Okay, um, I'm gonna, uh, in just a moment, announce our guest speaker. You guys are in for a special, special treat. The message last night was so powerful and anointed. But real quick, before I do that, I just wanna recognize 21 years ago today, our nation was changed forever, and I don't want to be amiss about not mentioning it. But when we usually mention something that has happened that has not been a positive thing to our country or to our world, I just want to remind you that God gives us hope and God gives us a plan. And what happened that day was a horrific, terrible thing. But in the middle of that, God can still move. But we don't want to forget all those families' lives that were forever changed today. So I just real quick want to say a prayer for them. Um, Jesus, Lord, I just ask Heavenly Father for all the people in this room and all the people across our nation that their lives were forever changed when they lost somebody that day 21 years ago. Lord, I just ask that your presence would surround them and be with them and that we will remember, but will we remember it with hope. God, you have a plan for our lives, and you let things move on. And I just pray for the families and people who've lost friends. Lord, that you be with them this day. Give them hope and a plan and a future. We love you, and we thank you, Jesus. Ah, so I um, get to uh, um, introduce some wonderful friends of ours. Krista was here last night, which is John's wife. I was thinking this morning, you know, I could say all the wonderful, nice things. He's a great speaker. He's this, he's that. But I want to tell you something. Last night, after hearing his message, I am telling you, God has a purpose for him being here. I walked away last night with hope, with hope, with um, excitement, with, you know, we live in a society that is um, pretty negative, and this message was brought out with a lot of joy and um, stick to and Jesus. And, you know, we uh, have known this couple uh, even long before he was ever even married to his wife. And there are supernatural appointments from Jesus. And many years ago, I think it's been over 30 years ago, the Lord gave us this wonderful couple to be in our lives. We encourage each other. We're friends. And I'm telling you, you are in for a treat this morning. So all of you, please give John Bailey a welcome. Well, I am now feeling the pressure. So, no, Chris, thank you so much. Uh, I got to tell you, Jubilee, you are so blessed. Um, it has been a privilege of mine uh, out of a relationship with John and Chris to be here Way back when you were at the, in the, um, um, I guess it was the development area, uh, it, was in the, it was a place that nobody could find. <laughs> I remember that. Like you wind through to this back place and there's like five services and your last facility. I think that this is a year since you were in your last facility. And I just want to say to all of you that are here and watching online, man, what faithful people to go a year where you feel a little bit like you've been wandering in the wilderness, right? And, uh, and you've uh, come into your new home, and this place is amazing. Can somebody shout amen? So uh, we are, um, uh, I want to say as well, too, uh, as a missionary, I'll, I'll kind of go through some of my story as I preach the message today, uh, but as a missionary, 
uh, Jubilee Christian Fellowship was our number one supporting church. We had maybe 150 churches that support us by far. Uh, you guys blessed us incredibly. Can I just say thank you for that? Uh, I want to say as well, you brought two ministry teams over. Uh, most of uh, John and Chris's children have come over for missions trips. Uh, one of the great privileges in my life. So when I went to Ireland as a missionary, I love football. I, I played college football. I love football. So I take these Irish guys that play soccer and whatever else. And I was like, you got to learn how to play American football. So I would teach them how to play football. And when teams would come over, we would challenge them to a game of football. And they were like, you mean soccer? And we're like, no, we'll play football. We won every single time. <laughs> and can I tell you, there was no greater joy, Daniel and David beating them on the football field. No greater joy in life. I don't know what it is about Daniel. I love him. But man, I just love to get one over on that guy. So... Uh, anyways, we are, we are just so delighted to be here. I'm going to tell you what I'm doing now, just real quickly, and then we're going to get into the Word. Um, so over 30 years of ministry, back when I was in a very broken place, uh, called to ministry, but in a broken place, I came across John and Chris Leach. I actually lived in their home uh, for a while, um, was, gave my life to Christ in jail, had a lot of you know, checkered things going on, and... Um, and they have been such an incredible blessing to me. Well, over the years, we've done a lot of ministry. If you, have you ever heard of David Wilkerson and Nikki Cruz and the cross and the switchblade? If you're younger, you probably haven't. Uh, but David Wilkerson started uh, Teen Challenge. He started Times Square Church in New York City. And then he started World Challenge. Well, I recently had been pastoring a church in Jacksonville, Florida, and came here to help Gary Wilkerson to run that ministry. And so we, we equip and train pastors all over the world. Uh, we have an incredible, uh, what I believe is a great teaching ministry. We have about 500,000 people that come on and listen to messages and uh, just help them to grow. I would encourage you to go on to worldchallenge.org. Just great ministry there. And then the other thing that we do that is near and dear to my heart is that we do, uh, we do a lot of missionary work around the world. And we particularly focus on unreached people groups. And, um, and here's, here's the thing. When you reach an unreached people group, you know that by doing that, you create a persecuted church. Because the reason that the gospel isn't there isn't because nobody ever had the idea to take it there. The reason the gospel isn't there is because the culture is hostile. And we know that when we go in and people start to come to Jesus, it will put them right into the crosshairs of being persecuted. And so we work with the persecuted church. Uh, we help to solve poverty issues. And I want to just tell you, I'm absolutely thrilled for what God has done in my life. And I want to just, just thank you here at Jubilee just for your friendship. We thank you so much uh, for, uh, for being with us along the journey. John and Chris, you guys are amazing. Uh, but one saying that we have, Gary Wilkerson says this, so I'm kind of quoting him. But he, he'll say this when he goes to churches. He says, he says, he says uh, God told him, whenever you preach, put your finger in the book. And when you get tired of putting your finger in the book, then get your other finger and put it in the book. So I'm just going to say to you today, we are going to go into the Word. I am a Bible teacher, much like your pastor. Uh, I love to, to dig into the Scripture. So today, is it okay if we dig into the Bible? 
So I pastored a church in Jacksonville that God did a lot of amazing things. And one of the things that I would tell them is like, what I have to say is really irrelevant. God's word, if you can believe that and trust in that, God will do a powerful work in your life. So Lord, today we give this day to you. We thank you, God, for these people and for the leadership that's here. And Lord, I pray today, God, that you would do great and mighty things. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Today we're talking about faith that conquers. I want to start in in Colossians chapter 1, and I want to read to you uh, today verses 12 through 15. And here's Paul writing, and he says this, Giving thanks to the Father who has qualified us to be partakers in the inheritance of the saints in the light. And here's one thing, just starting today, I'm a big lover of the Apostle Paul, and I want you to see this. He came out of a very legalistic background. Uh, He came from a place that everything was about doing good things to try to please God. And when he's writing this, he came into this incredible revelation of the grace and the mercy of God. And so when he's writing the church in Colossae, he's, he's saying this to them. He's saying, do you realize that God has qualified us? You see, sometimes we try to, if we pray enough and give enough and do enough and do enough church things and religious things that we can qualify ourselves. But I want to tell you, at the cross, Jesus qualified you and me. And when we come into him by faith, by knowing him, he does such a powerful and supernatural work. And listen, this was so dynamic in the Apostle Paul's life that when you read that you know, he goes to places and he's uh, beaten and stoned and uh, shipwrecked, uh, you know, one of, one of my favorite stories in the Bible is when Paul is stoned to death. And uh, they, I mean, it, it appears like he's dead anyways. And so he's raised up. And what would you do? I mean, I'm running to the next city. I'm finding a, he goes right back to the same city from the people that stoned him and said to them, hey, I want you to know the Jesus that I met that did a great work in my life. And he wants to qualify you, not because of how good you are, but because of the finished work of Jesus at the cross. Can somebody say amen in this house? So I want you to see this deep encounter that he's had with Jesus. And now he risks his life. He, he takes the gospel. He would literally walk, you know, the, to the place. He didn't have a jet airplane. He didn't have social media, but he, uh, through the power of the Holy Spirit, saw God do an amazing work in the days that he lived in. And then he says, we, we have this inheritance uh, in the saints in life. He has delivered us Uh, from the power of darkness and conveyed us into the kingdom of the son of his love in whom we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sin. And he is the image of the invisible God. And he had this incredible revelation that Jesus is God. I want to tell you, when you say that in our culture today, it used to be that in America, if you were a Christian, it would say something that you uh, had honor or integrity People would, in, would be endeared to the fact that you're a religious person. Can I just tell you, that is no longer the days that we live in. We are very quickly coming into a, a, a generation that is hostile to the gospel. Uh, people will cancel you. People don't want to hear what you say. If you say to people that Jesus is the only way to heaven, all of a sudden you, you become the enemy. Uh, it, it has not always been that way in America, but it is that way. Now, you can look at that and go, hey, well, I'm going to kind of hide in my little corner. But I want to tell you, some of the greatest moves of God in the history of this planet has been in the midst of a hostile culture. Church, it is not time to to weaken back into the dark corners and the caves. It is time for the church to shine in the light that God has given to us. Amen? 
Praise God. I will. Thank you very much. Uh, go, go with me. Uh, go with me to Galatians chapter uh, three. And again, just uh, as, as we're going through this revelation, I'm going to get more into the, to the meat of the message in a moment. But he says this. He says, are you so foolish? In chapter, chapter three and, and, and verse three of uh, Galatians, are you so foolish having begun in the spirit that now you're trying to be made perfect uh, uh, perfect by the flesh, which means this, hey, you were saved uh, by Jesus. The Holy Spirit did a work in your life, but now you're going back to legalism and works and trying to do things to please God. But listen, you were saved by grace and now you live by grace and you live by the power of the Holy Spirit. But they had, had gone back into this works mentality. Have you suffered so many things in vain if indeed it was in vain? And therefore, he who supplies the Spirit to you and works miracles among you. Does he do it by the works of the law or by the hearing of faith? Just as Abraham believed God and it was accounted to him as righteousness, therefore know that only those who are, who are of faith are the sons of Abraham. And today I want to talk to you about what faith is. Listen, we understand the revelation that Paul had was by grace through faith. But you can't understand the revelation if you don't tie them together. There are places in the church that are all about works, all about what we do and how we perform. And they can, be, they can become very legalistic. Uh, you have other places that go to grace and they say, oh, well, God has saved me by grace. So it doesn't matter what I do or how I live. But today I want you to see this. Grace is God's unmerited favor. It is Jesus qualifying us. The other side of that is faith. And I want to talk to you about what it means to live a life of faith in the world that we live in. Well, where do you go for that? The place that I'm going to go today is into the life of Abraham because he is the father of faith. And he's saying here, if you want to understand faith, go back to where it originated, the father of faith, which is Abraham. Are you good with that? Yeah. So we are going to go, if you would, back to Genesis. And uh, we'll be uh, staying there for the rest of the message. Go to Genesis chapter 12. And here's the first thing that I want to share with you uh, this morning is this. My uncertain future belongs to a trustworthy God. Here's what, um, here's what it says in Genesis chapter 12 and verse 1. It says, now the Lord said to Abram, get out of your country from your family and from your father's house to a land that I'll show you. And then, of course, this would be Israel. I'll make you a nation. I will bless you. I will make your name great and you shall be a blessing and I will bless those who bless you and curse those who curse you. And in, uh, in you, all of the families of the earth shall be blessed. And then it says, so Abram departed as the Lord had spoken to him and the Lord went with him and Abram was 75 years old when he departed from Haran. Now, just to give you an idea of the world that Abraham lived in, Abraham lived in a world that was very pagan. Uh, they served the moon god whose name was Sin. That is S-I-N. Can you imagine? We are going to worship Sin. But that was, that was the world that he lived in. And nobody had a Bible. Nobody had a great church facility like this. Uh, nobody uh, had a, he, he didn't have a youth group. He didn't have a place to go to for teaching. He had this encounter with God and God begins to speak to him and show who he is. Listen, he did not have a coffee bar. Can I just tell you this? You guys have got the most amazing coffee bar on the planet. Somebody shout amen. Um, and by the way, you love your, what, what do you call it? Juice? What is it? Um, 
your Jesus juice around here. Yeah, here now for some of you, some of you that are younger, so you know old people are all eyes. You remember the old days we used to walk to school uphill both ways, you know. When we were kids, we had to drink Folgers coffee every morning. No Starbucks, right? No Dunkin' Donuts coffee. We had Folgers, and that was the best. Maxwell House. Somebody shout amen, right? That was what we had. So uh, anyways, but he didn't have any of those things. What he had was an encounter with God. And today, I want you to see this today. God wants to have an encounter with you. And where, where the spiritual life of a Christian begins is not by, uh, you know, works or learning the, you know, the 20 virtues of being a Christian. All those things are good. You should teach your children those things. Those are great qualities. But listen, if those qualities don't come from an understanding of the character and the nature of who God is and who Jesus is, those virtues will not do anything to help you get any closer to God. Today, we need a visitation of the presence of God in our lives to have an encounter with him, something that's real, something that has a depth to it. I, I want to tell you today, the, the worship, uh, the JJ and the team, I love young people worshiping God. You have got them in the house. Amen. But that worship set just will flow so nicely with the service today. And here, it, it is so important that we don't live in the foothills. God wants to take us to the high places in his presence. Praise God. And so Abram is in this place. And, uh, he, and God says, hey, he's 75 years old. And he says, I want, I want to take you to this promised land. Now, here's what historians tell us. That journey would take him about five years. He would go through deserts, he would go through famine, he would go through drought, he would go through hardship. But God says, hey, go to this land. Now, if it were me, and I think most of us, we would say, well, God, exactly, could you give me a map? Is there a compass? No, just start walking, and when you get there, I'll show you the place. That journey is well over 1,000 miles. That is a long way to walk. And he's walking, and God says, when you get there, I'll tell you where it is. Here's my point. Sometimes we don't understand always what we're doing or what God is doing. Have you ever stopped and asked yourself the question like, you know, where am I going? Lord, what is this life about? How are these events in my life working together? Because I read the scripture that says all things work together for good. But when I see the circumstances that I'm walking through, it doesn't always feel like God is working all things together for his good. Can somebody say amen to that? Because it, it really tends to be the places that we can live. Where, why am I here? What am I doing? Where am I going? These are the questions. Uh, today, I want to share a little bit of my uh, testimony with you. And just, just to, to share with you what God has done in my life. So I was playing uh, football at East Tennessee State. Um, I, uh, I had two dreams in my life. Uh, I had come to Christ just recently. I'm in this place. And I had two things that I wanted to do. I wanted to play football for the Broncos. No, I'm just joking. I'm a Cowboys fan. Uh, don't throw anything. You know what? I could feel God in the place, and I think he just left, right? I could feel the anger in the house. But I wanted to play football, and I wanted to be rich. Can I be honest with you? I wanted money. I was raised poor, uh, military family, sergeant in the military. We never had a lot. And I wanted to play football, and I wanted to be wealthy. Well, while I'm there, I have this very definite call to ministry. The first thing that I said is like, man, I want to be poor because every pastor that I knew was poor. Now, 
I know pastors who aren't necessarily poor now, but when I was at that place, what I wanted in wealth was not most of the pastors that I knew in East Tennessee were all poor, you know, it's just the circumstances that they were in. So I had, to, I had to die to that. And I had to go, okay, God, whatever you want, I'm just gonna, you know, I'll be poor for you, uh, I, whatever. <laughs> and by the way, I don't feel like I'm poor at all now. But that was the image that I had at that, at that time in my life. And so I go to, to Bible college. And when I go to Bible college, I had two things that I wanted to do. I wanted to be a senior pastor or I wanted to be a missionary to South and Central America because I love Hispanic culture. Anybody Hispanic here today? Nobody. Okay, there's like four of you. All right, there you go, sister. So I love Hispanic culture. So I'm, I'm there. This is before I met John and Chris. I'm at a youth conference, and uh, they, they were holding at the school, and the Lord speaks to me. He says, I'm calling you into youth ministry, and I will multiply your ministry. Now, in my opinion, some of you that are a little bit older may be able to associate with this. In youth ministry, they always play dorky games. The big game in the time was Chubby Bunny. So I was playing college football. I was too cool for school. And you're going 25 marshmallows I'm going to stuff in my mouth and go chubby bunny while like stuff is like dripping down my chin. It was like, I don't, I don't mind being poor, but not only be poor, and I'm going to be playing dorky games with teenagers. Like, <laughs> I'm just going to be honest with you. I was like, this is not the way I saw my life playing out, if you would. And, um, you know, it's funny because the Lord said to me, he says, well, don't do that raise up a generation that knows my name. And you know what? And we have discipled over the years. Had about eight, we have about 75 or 80 young people that are in full-time ministry. Uh, the last youth group I had was 400 with 200 young adults. And I want to tell you, God did a powerful work, but it is not what I wanted. When I met John Leach, what John Leach did for me was he showed me how to disciple a generation. And if I could just say this to you, you guys have a church that is not built on fluffy stuff. You are, it's a church that's built on discipleship and the word and worship. And you should thank God for the leadership that you have in the church. Amen? Because that's the way that you should do it right. So I go from that place and I finish uh, youth ministry and, and so forth. And then I'm going, okay, well, now I'm ready to go be a pastor or go as a missionary uh, to South or Central America. And God very specifically directs me to Western Europe. I wound up being a missionary in Ireland. Now, I will just say to you, uh, everybody was going, that's not a bad gig. I mean, it's a beautiful country, but the problems there are very deep, and the problems in the church with the Catholics and the Protestants and so forth made for a very hard nation to talk to about Jesus. And so, listen, God did an amazing work. We went from 50 preaching points across the Republic of Ireland to well over a 1,000 uh, in those years. Certainly not all due to me, uh, but there was a lot of people working together. But it is one of the places in the world that God is moving in a powerful way. And so I love my time there, but it was difficult. Can I paint a picture for you? So, um, so I was in Galway at the Spanish Steps, and I was preaching the gospel, and I gave an altar call. About five people raised their hands. And so I started to give, uh, I, was, I started to lead them in a, in a sinner's prayer. And I have a microphone, I'm, you know, Jesus coming to my heart. Well, two guys came and tried to take the microphone away from me. And I'm going, not a chance. So with this hand, I'm pushing two guys off, and I never stop talking as I am leading five people to know Jesus. That's a great picture of ministry in Ireland. And uh, it was a bit of a battle. I've, I have an Irish heritage, and we can be a little stubborn and a little temper. Um, but God did amazing things. As a matter of fact, by the end of it, um, you know, I would have lived and died there. 
And then my wife, her father was in a motorcycle accident, had a head injury, and he lives with us now. So for now 11 years, he's, he's lived with us. And uh, it required that I had to come off of the mission field. I did not understand. I was like, God, why are you doing this to me? Has anybody ever been in a set of circumstances and you're going, God, I don't understand what's happening in my life. It doesn't make sense. I'm doing great things. God is doing amazing things in Ireland and across Europe. And here I have to come back. I wind up in, in, back in Jacksonville, Florida, and we're going, well, here we are. Let's start a church. Uh, we started with seven people in a double-wide trailer, uh, and today the church, we actually just finished a building that's just about this size. Uh, we have maybe 15 to 1,800 people in the church. God has done, we've baptized about 1,400 people over the past 10 years. God did an amazing work there. But I will tell you, Every devil in hell. If you, you know, listen, if you want to do a, a, a church with gimmicks and tricks, you can build a church and Disneyland and everything else. But if you really want to disciple people and help them to grow, I will tell you, every devil in hell will come against you. And I'm sure that that has been much the, the battle of this church. Thank God you have great leaders to help lead you in that way. Uh, but God did an amazing work. Now, here's the part that I want you to see. Every step of that journey. Now, when I get to this place, uh, the Lord is literally using me to touch different parts of the planet. I'm not saying that boastingly, but I'm saying I, had a, I was working in business law. I need that. I was working with, uh, with young people in the generation. I needed that in the position I'm in. I was a pastor. I was a missionary. All of those things provided the place for me to step into the role that I'm at now. So a little bit like Abraham, I, I couldn't see necessarily what God was doing, but he was putting me on a path. And this is what I want to say to you, because you may be here and you work a job or you're a housewife and you're raising kids and you go, I, it doesn't feel like my life is going anywhere. Can I tell you today by the power of the Holy Spirit that Jesus is speaking this, God has you on a path in the world that you're, even when things don't really make sense, God is taking you somewhere from glory to glory and image to image. Trust him in the middle of that process. Amen. Glory to God. Here's the second thing I want to share with you is this. My impossibilities belong to a God who can do all things. Go with me to Genesis chapter 15. What's impossible to me is never impossible with God. Here's what it says. I'm going to go to, uh, down to verse 3. And Abraham is talking to God. God is telling him that you know, he's blessed and the promises of God. And then in verse 3, uh, Abraham says back, Abraham says, Look, you have given me no offspring, and indeed the one that's born in my house, a, a servant, is now my heir. I want to just take a moment and help you to understand. God's telling him all these great promises. In an honest moment, Abraham looks at God and says, Listen, stop with the promises. You're telling me, you keep telling me, I'm going to be this you know, father of a great nation. I don't even have a son. I don't even have an heir. And your promises are not matching up with my circumstances. Anybody ever been there? Anybody living there right now? <laughs> you go, God, I see what you're saying here, but I don't see the reality. And Abram, Abram at this point is, is very honest. And he goes, God, hey, stop the talk. You're telling me that I'm going to have an heir. 
I'm now, he's about 90 years of age at this point, 75, that's 15 years I've been doing everything you say, and you know what? I still don't see the reality, and now the Lord speaks back to him, and he says, and behold, the word of the Lord came to him saying, this one shall not be your heir, that means the servant, but one who will come, which will be Isaac, will be from your own body, and you shall, and body, and shall be your heir. Then he brought him outside, and he said, Look now towards the heavens and count the stars, if you were able to number them. And he said to him, so shall be your descendants. And he believed the Lord. We read this earlier in Galatians. And he believed the Lord, and it was credited or accounted to him as righteous. Now, understand, it doesn't say that Abraham was righteous. Anybody that knows the story, know, how many know that Abraham made a whole lot of mistakes? He was a sinner. He lied to a king and said that his wife was his sister. That's not good. It doesn't say that he was righteous. It says that he was counted as righteous. And I want to tell you what, that's the testimony of every person in this house. None of us are righteous, but we are counted as righteous because we live by grace through faith in the finished work of Jesus. And so that's what makes him the father of faith. And then he said to him, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of Ur and the Chaldeans, and I will give you this land to inherit it. He's saying this, Abraham, did I tell you to come here? Yes. Is it the promised land? Yes, it is. You need to trust what I have done in your life, and now you need to believe what I'm saying to you. Now, Abram comes to this place, and he's going, I don't believe. So God says, look in the stars, and he begins to, to count the stars. You know what it says in Philippians? That you are stars shining in the darkness. So when Abraham is counting those stars, understand it's not Jewish people. It is people of faith. So when you live as a person of faith, you are one of those stars that he was counting. We are called to shine in the dark world that we live in. Hallelujah. And so he, he, he believes God even when it doesn't make sense. He looks at the stars and God says, now that's what's faith. When you can't see and you don't understand and you trust me, that is true biblical faith. You know, um, when I was at East Tennessee State playing football and God calls me into ministry, I'm ready for a big ministry assignment. I'm going, okay, what stage am I going to stand on? Where am I going to preach? And the first ministry assignment I had was to my grandmother. My grandmother was very important to me. I came from a very broken home. And so my grandmother was like, she was like a lifeline to me. She was just that important. And she had just been diagnosed with cancer. And through this time, uh, it, was, it was very difficult. Um, she went through chemo, radiation treatment. I'm, I'm moving in and I'm living with her. And she wasn't a church-going woman. She, actually, she had a little stash of white lightning. <laughs> I snuck into it a time or two myself. This is my confession because I'm counted as righteous. I'm not. <laughs> if, you, if you've ever drank uh, white lightning, and I hope you haven't, it's like drinking battery acid. It is nasty. So, uh, so anyways... Wasn't a church-going woman, and she was very. She was a tough lady. Uh, I've seen some of your security guys around here. Pretty, you got some pretty tough guys around here. Yeah. So she was peeling potatoes. She cut her hand, and she gave herself five stitches. I watched her give herself five. That is needle and thread, and she gave herself five stitches. Somebody said that's a tough woman right there, right? And she had really very little time for God or church. And over that year. I would pray, God, heal her. And I want to just tell you this. 
I come from a background in my religious, you know, denomination or whatever that I believe in miracles. Man, I, I have seen God. Does anybody here believe that God still does miracles? I know this house believes that and has seen it. I've seen God open blind eyes. I have seen, I, there was a guy I prayed for that had a broken neck. And he had the, he had the you know, uh, you know all, all the stuff on. And you could hear something like snap. And he goes, Pastor, God healed me. I'm taking my neck, my, my neck brace off right now. And I go, whoa, whoa, whoa. <laughs> I said, I believe so much that your neck is healed. Why don't you go to the doctor tomorrow and let him take it off? It will be a great testimony. Because all I needed is him to take that off and it not happen. So, um, but I've seen people healed. And I am praying, God, heal my grandmother. You know, she went into remission. She was never fully healed. But in that year, and this is where kind of the worship set comes along today, JJ, is I'm praying with her. God is softening her heart. And we would weep together and we would cry together and we would pray together. And through that process, my grandmother gave her life to Christ. Hallelujah. My first ministry assignment. Now, I'll tell you, the, the downside of that is she used to listen to Elvis and Johnny Cash hymns all the time. And uh, sorry. If you love Elvis, I'm sorry. Johnny Cash. Uh, they're not terrible, but it was like all day. So she, would go, she started going to church. But listen, she eventually, and she was in her early 80s, and she went to be with the Lord. But I want to tell you, one day, because of faith, I know I will see Vicey Hood again, and we will walk on streets of gold. So listen, believing God for the impossible doesn't always mean that when we come to God that we can tell him how to do it and he's going to do it just the way that we want. But we know that he is always working in every situation to produce Christ, to produce his glory, and to do an eternal work in our lives. Can somebody shout amen today? And this is an understanding. I'm, because today I, I want you to see this. I'm, 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 we're attempting to help you to have an understanding of what biblical faith is all about. Here's the third thing and my final thing that I want to share with you today, and it's this. What is most precious to me belongs to a God who cares. What's most precious? I want to just ask you today, what's, what's precious to you? What do you care about? And we go children, grandchildren, I'm sure, um, you know, possessions, homes, uh, bank accounts. I mean, all of us, I think, uh, you know, Jake was saying that today. You know what's in your bank account because it's precious to you. There's things that are precious. But listen, what is precious to me, right, uh, it, it, it belongs to a God who cares. So as we go through this, uh, anybody here like mountain climbing? Okay, like four of you. Anybody here, I said this last night, anybody here like to eat Twinkies and sit on the couch, right? Okay, I think there's more of you, all right. There's like two hands that go up mountain. You live in Colorado. You, I lived in Florida. You do, if you do not appreciate the scenery that we have here, I absolutely love these mountains. And uh, so we like to, you know, hike and climb a lot more when I was younger. But I, just as an illustration today, I, um, I have three of the most difficult mountains in the world to climb. And I want to, the first one is going to be K2, if we could, uh, K2, it goes about over 28,000 uh, feet. Um, about 23% of the people who try to climb that mountain die. Difficult mountain to climb. The second one that we have, I said last night, uh, I'll say it again, so uh, this may sound like I'm speaking in tongues, but um, Kang Chinjunga is the uh, second most difficult 
uh, mountain in the world to climb, about 29% of the people who climb this mountain die. And then the most difficult is Annapurna. Uh, it's only about 26,000 feet, but you can see uh, pretty uh, dangerous, uh, uh, I can only imagine, mountain to climb. About 30% of the people that attempt to climb that mountain die. Can somebody here, just, uh, I'm just going to tell you, there is no mountain that I want to climb that bad. Yeah. Right? No mountain. It just doesn't exist. Today I want to talk to you about, those are considered the three most difficult mountains to climb. But I want to share with you the most difficult mountain to climb in God's word. Go to Genesis chapter 22. And this along with Calvary, if you would. In 22 and verse 2, it says this. <clears throat> and then he said, here am I, uh, Abraham. God says, then he said, now take your son, your only son Isaac, whom you love, and go to the land of Moriah. The land of Moriah is the mountain that today Jerusalem is built upon. Back then there was no city or anything, but, it, but that's the, it's the same place that Jerusalem is at today, Mount Moriah. And offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains of which I shall tell you. And so Abraham rose early in the morning and saddled his donkey and took two of the young men with him, with Isaac his son, and they split the wood. I'll just take a moment here. I can only imagine, because this is what's in his heart. He's about to go, and he believes that God has asked him to sacrifice his son. And so they stop, and they begin to split the wood. Now, I want to say this before I get too far in the story. This is a passage that a lot of people, especially that aren't believers, go, how could God ever do this? This is treacherous. This is wicked. And I want to tell you, this is the most emotionally uh, uh, stirring thought that I could probably have in all of God's word. But I want you to see where it goes and how it applies to what faith is. This had to be an excruciating time. He is going to what he believes is to the top of Mount Moriah to offer his son as a sacrifice. Now we know this from the Bible, two different places here and in Hebrews, that it says that he, he expected God to raise him from the dead. He actually says, I will come back with my son. So he expected that he would offer his son and that God would raise his son because he knew it was the promised son and, and that he would raise him from the dead. It's the only way that he could put the pieces together. But can you imagine splitting the wood? I mean, every time that I would hit that piece of wood to split it, I would probably be in tears. And here he is with his son. They're splitting the wood. And he arose and went to the place of which God had told him. And then on the third day, Abram lifted up his eyes and he saw the place afar off. And Abraham said to the young men, stay here with the donkey and the lad and I will go yonder and worship. And then look at this. We will come back to you. So Abram took the wood of the burnt offering, laid it on Isaac, uh, uh, and, and laid it on Isaac the son. And he took the fire into his hands and the knife. And the two of them went together. But as Isaac spoke to the father, uh, and he says to him, my father, and he said, here I am, son. And then he says, look, here's the fire, here's the wood, but where is the lamb for the burnt offering? This was not a real dumb 13-year-old, right? He was going, all right, dad, I see the wood, I see the fire, where's the lamb? And you're looking at me kind of funny with that crazy eye as we're walking up the hill. Can I just say this? If you're here and you're 13 today and your dad starts splitting wood and so forth, just want to give you a word from the Lord. There is one time in all of the Bible that this happened. There is no time, any time before then or after that this has ever taken place or will ever take place. 
This is a one-time scenario. So I want you to put that into context because when you read it, you go, how can this be God's word? Because this is, this is what are you doing to Abraham? It seems like a really treacherous game, right? Yeah. I've read the same thing and I've gone like, this, this just sounds terrible. So he says, look at the fire in the wood and where is the lamb for the burnt offering? And Abraham said, my son, God will provide for himself the lamb as a burnt offering. And so the two of them went together and they came to the place of which God had told them. And Abraham built an altar there and placed the wood on the fire. And then he bound Isaac, his son, and he laid him on the altar upon the wood. You know, I have, I have a son. I only have one son. I, I can't even imagine the emotions that Abraham is going through. And here's the part I want you to see. He's offering what is most precious to him. He doesn't understand but by faith, he says, God, whatever you say, I'll do it. I, I want you to let that sink in just a little bit of like, to what levels do I go to say, God, whatever you ask me to do, I'll do it. This is crazy. And now I'll give you a, a good explanation as we go through. He stretched his hand out, took the knife and, and, uh, to slay his son. And then the angel of the Lord called and said from, from in heaven, Abraham, Abraham. And he said, here I am. Thank God he was hearing God right there, right? He says, do not lay your hand on the lad or do anything to him. For now I know that you fear God, since you have not withheld your son, your one and only son from me. Now, here's, here's what's brutal. I, listen, I, I'm, how many think that Isaac needed a little counseling when he got older? Right? I need to go see a therapist. <laughs> you go, God, why would you put Abram through this? Was it a test? It was more than that. Because the place they, they were at was Mount Moriah. 2,000 years later, that's the place that Jesus would journey up that same mountain. And he would go to Mount Moriah. Mount Calvary is actually just a high point on the top of Mount Moriah. I believe it's very possible. As a matter of fact, if you ask me what I believe, the Bible doesn't say it. But I believe that that's where he was at in the same spot. And what we have here is a picture from God to say, listen... If you and your human understanding can say how horrific, can everybody just agree this is horrific? Like anybody that doesn't say that and you're sitting next to your kid, your kid should be very worried, right? Uh, because that's, that's scary stuff, right? This is, but what he was saying is this. If I can take for one moment in time and I can draw a picture for you, this is what the heavenly father did. He took his one and only son in that same spot, and he said this. He, he allowed him to be died. Actually, the Bible says that it pleased God to punish the son so that we could have the forgiveness of sins and be cleansed and that we could have relationship. And listen, what Abraham expected is that God will raise my son from the dead is exactly what, G, what God did. He raised his son from the dead three days later. Can somebody shout amen today? It, what a great understanding of the grace and the mercy and the kindness of God. We don't have this context anywhere else in life. You know, a few weeks ago, myself and my wife, we had our 28th anniversary and we went to Vail and um, uh, we were there, you know, fireside, pool and all that. And God just brought this really lovely young couple. Uh, they were Hasidic Jews from New York City and they were there on vacation. 
And we just, they were just talking normal. They have now come out of the sect that they were in, and they were like, yeah, you know, they were struggling with things. And I sat there for an hour and a half, and I began to go through the scriptures and come to sto- this story and other stories like that to go, can you see 2,000 years before Jesus was ever born, God painted a picture in the Old Testament of what Jesus is and who Jesus is, and your father Abraham, this is the greatest picture in all of the scriptures that we can look and relate of going, this is exactly what Father God did when he sent his son that traveled up that mountain and came to that place and offered his life as an atonement for our sins. Church, if that doesn't make you fall in love with Jesus, I want to say this as well. What is important to you today? Obviously, God's not going to ask us to do this, but there have been times in my life that I've had to take my two children and say, God, I give you my children. They go on the mission field, whatever they do, whatever they decide to do, they are not mine, they belong to you. Listen, being a person of faith means taking the things that are most precious and giving them to God and seeing what he can do because I will tell you, he can do far more than what you can think or imagine when you offer those things that are most precious. Amen. Amen. So when I was at business law at East Tennessee State, and playing football, and I begin to follow the Lord and be poor. I'm, I'm not poor, uh, nor am I rich. Um, you know, uh, sometimes I look at this place in my life, and I go, hey, I'm, I'm not a rich person, which is what I set out to be. I gave that to the Lord. And I don't want to sound this bo- sound, make this sound boasting, because I'm going to come back with another story, and it's going to put it into some kind of, um, you know, way of understanding. But, you know, in my life... Um, In ministry as a pastor and as a missionary, I literally have raised millions and millions of dollars for missions, for America, for overseas, for unreached people groups. So listen, I may not be real wealthy as far as my own personal finances, but I can tell you this, I am wealthy in the kingdom of God and relationships. And listen, if you think, oh, well, you're making yourself the hero. I'm not the hero at all. What I've done is what God has called me to do along the way. Can I tell you about two of my heroes? Two people that we work with. In the, for, I can't tell you what country they're from, and I can't give you their names. One pastor, uh, just about uh, six months ago, was arrested. Uh, one of his neighbors, he lives in a persecuted area, very difficult. One of his neighbors turned him in and said that he was telling people about Jesus. So he went to jail. Uh, he was then under, uh, if, he, if the court case would have been won, his family would have lost their home. His wife and children would have been kicked out. Uh, he, was, he was in a terrible, terrible situation. Uh, he works with us, and so we were able to secure a lawyer who went through and, thank God, was able to get him out of that situation. Can somebody say amen? amen. And you know what he did when he got out? He went and told people about Jesus. I want to just take for a moment and think about a man to his wife and his family and his livelihood. But listen, what's faith? Is going, God, they may kill me. I don't know what will happen. But I know this. My life is here to serve you. We have another person, that we, another pastor that we work with. And he's in a place. He's been in prison, persecuted, beaten in jail, uh, discarded by his. I mean, you talk about a hostile society. He is in a hostile environment. And uh, he has now planted 87 house churches in the area that he's in. I'm not the hero because I send a little money so that guy can do his ministry. I'm not the hero. That guy is the hero. 
And you know what? They came to him and they said, they said, hey, are you afraid? He's like, what else can they do to me? They've done it all to me. I am going to live for Jesus because he had a revelation of the Lord. Now, look, I know, hey, we live in, I live in Colorado Springs. You guys live right here in Denver. How do we know we have a good life, right? We are probably, if you take the history of mankind, we are probably the most blessed people that have ever lived. I want to tell you, it, it, to whom much has been given, much will be required. And I want to tell you this. I, listen, we just built a building of our own, and like we got our own little coffee place. And you know, thank God for the, what you have. But listen, it's impressive. God's not impressed with your building, and God's not impressed with your coffee bar. What is impressed with is when people live by faith and they go, God, when I don't understand what my path is, I'm going to trust you. And God, when I face my impossible situations, I know that you are the God of the impossible. And Lord, when I take the things that are most precious, Lord, and I offer to them to you, that is faith. And I will tell you this, what it says it in Hebrews, you cannot please God without faith. That is biblical Christianity. We are saved by grace through faith, not of ourselves, but is the working of the Holy Spirit through our lives that produces something in a world. And listen, church, we are in a day that, that if the church doesn't rise in the days that we live and stand up to be the people of God, uh, we are a gener generation away from being what, East, what Western Europe is right now. And I'm not saying that to say, hey, you got to be you know, weird or crazy or anything else. It is literally just letting the glory of God in a very natural and beautiful way be on display when you go to the workplace, when you go to school, wherever you are. Let Jesus shine through your life. And that is the faith that we're talking about here. Father God, we love you today. Lord, these are your people. And God, I believe that this is a church that you will use in powerful ways. And Lord, I pray right now. They've been through a journey, Lord, over the last few years of buildings and everything else. God, I pray, Lord, as you have brought them into what maybe, Lord, in some ways feels a little like their promised land. God, I pray, Lord, that in the place that you have called them to be, that they would rise up in faith, Lord, to be the people of God and to speak and to live and to walk. Lord, they're different than everybody else around them. But Lord, we pray for the glory and the presence of God, Lord, to exude wherever they go and whatever they do. Lord, this is not about what we can work or conjure up. We believe you. We trust you. We rely upon you. We cleave to you, Lord. I pray, God, that you would help us, God, in these days to live by faith. Lord, not to just be good boys and girls, but to be men and women that are world changers in the world that we live in. We love you, God. We adore you. Hey, church, can I ask you to do this? I'm, I'm going to ask you to stand. If you, can you stand for a moment? And I'm, I know, you know, the altar space is here. If you would, uh, some of you may not be able to because of health or anything else, but if you're here and you would go, God, I want to be a man or woman of faith, maybe a teenager or young adult or but whatever age you might be and going, God, I want to see you move in the days that I live in. And Lord, I don't always understand. And Lord, there's a lot of things happening in my life, but I'm going to take my impossible situations. I'm going to give them to you. And Lord, I pray that, Lord, those things that are most precious today, I give them to you in faith. I trust you with the most, the most dear things in my life I offer to you today. If, listen, if you would and you can, can you just come and gather around? We're going to sing a song of worship. Altars in the Old Testament were a place 
uh, where people made sacrifices. God is not looking for animal sacrifices at all. He's looking for you. Would you come and gather with us? And we're just going to pray and seek God. And, and then whenever we finish, uh, JJ will pray for us and we can go home. Lord Jesus, I pray right now, Lord, that you would move in power and authority in this house. Lord, I pray for Pastor John and Chris and the pastors and the leaders. Lord, you've done a beautiful work in this church. But God, I pray that these are the days that you've called us to. I pray for the church to rise, Lord God, in faith. Lord God, and sometimes we can be a hostile culture. And God, I pray that they would stand for the, for the name of Jesus. And Lord, let that revelation of Christ go forward. Hallelujah. Praise God.